European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 44, Issue 44. Focus Issue, Heart Failures and Cardiomyopathies, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. Fighting the pandemic of heart failure, better utilisation of current treatments, new drugs and new therapeutic targets. This focus issue on heart failure and cardiomyopathies contains the state-of-the-art review article entitled Mavacampton, a first-in-class myosin inhibitor for obstructive hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Eugene Brownwald and colleagues from the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts, USA, remind us that Mavacampton is a first-in-class targeted cardiac-specific myosin inhibitor approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration for the treatment of adults with symptomatic New York Heart Association Class 2 and 3 Obstructive Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy, or OHCM. Mavacampton was developed to target the hypercontractile phenotype, which plays a critical role in the pathophysiology of this complex disease. In Phase 2 and 3 clinical trials, Mavacampton was well-tolerated, reduced left ventricular outflow tract gradients, improved exercise capacity and symptoms, and was associated with improvements in other clinically relevant parameters, such as patient-reported outcomes and circulating biomarkers. In addition, treatment with Mavacampton was associated with evidence of favourable cardiac remodelling in multimodality imaging studies. Mavacampton substantially reduced guideline eligibility for septal reduction therapy candidates with OHCM and drug refractory symptoms. In this article, the available efficacy and safety data from completed and ongoing clinical studies of Mavacampton in patients with symptomatic OHCM are reviewed. Longer-term extension studies may help address questions related to the positioning of Mavacampton in current OHCM management algorithms, interactions with background therapy, as well as the potential for disease modification beyond symptomatic relief of left ventricular outflow tract obstruction. Acute heart failure, or AHF, represents the most frequent cause of unplanned hospital admission in patients older than 65 years and its treatment remains challenging. In a state-of-the-art review article entitled Acute Heart Failure, Current Pharmacological Treatment and Perspectives, Angemin Dunyu and colleagues from the University Hospital Saint-Louis-Larry-Boisier in Paris, France, note that symptoms and clinical signs of AHF, e.g. dyspnea, orthopnea, edema, jugular vein distension, and variation of body weight, are mostly related to systemic venous congestion secondary to various mechanisms including extracellular fluids, increased ventricular filling pressures and or autotransfusion of blood from the splanchnic into the pulmonary circulation. Thus the initial management of AHF patients should be mostly based on decongestive therapies on admission followed before discharge by rapid implementation of guideline-directed oral medical therapies for HF. The therapeutic management of AHF requires the identification and rapid diagnosis of the disease, 
the diagnosis of the cause or triggering factor, evaluation of severity, the presence of comorbidities, and finally, the initiation of a rapid treatment. The most recent guidelines from the ESC and ACC-AHA-HFSA have provided updated recommendations on AHF management. Recommended pharmacological treatment for AHF includes diuretic therapy aiming to relieve congestion and achieve optimal fluid status, early and rapid initiation of oral therapies before discharge, combined with a close follow-up. Non-pharmacological AHF management requires risk stratification in the emergency department and non-invasive ventilation in the case of respiratory failure. Vasodilators should be considered as initial therapy in AHF precipitated by hypertension. On the background of recent large randomised clinical trials and international guidelines, this state-of-the-art review describes current pharmacological treatments and potential directions for future research in AHF. Guideline-directed medical therapy, or GDMT, is recommended prior to mitral valve transcatheter edge-to-edge -edge repair, or MTIR, in patients with HF and severe functional mitral regurgitation, or FMR. In a Fast Track Congress article entitled Heart Failure Medical Therapy Prior to Mitral Transcatheter Edge-to-Edge -edge Repair, the STS-ACC Transcatheter Valve Therapy Registry. Anubold Vashne and colleagues from the Stanford University in Palo Alto, California, USA, note that whether M-tier is being performed on the background of optimal GDMT in clinical practice is unknown. Patients with left ventricular ejection fraction, or LVEF, less than 50%, who underwent M-tier for FMR from the 23rd of July 2019 to the 31st of March 2022 in the Society of Thoracic Surgeons, stroke American College of Cardiology Transcatheter Valve Therapy Registry, were identified. Pre-procedure GDMT utilization was assessed. Cox proportional hazards models were constructed to evaluate associations between pre-MTIR therapy, no single, double or triple therapy, and risk of one-year mortality or HF hospitalization, or HFH. Among 4,199 patients across 449 sites, beta blockers, angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors stroke angiotensin receptor blockers, mineralocorticoid receptor antagonists, and angiotensin receptor neprilism inhibitors were used in 85, 44, 29, and 20% prior to M-tier, respectively. Triple therapy was prescribed in 19%, double therapy in 38%, single therapy for 36%, and 6% were on no GDMT. In patients eligible for one-year follow-up, N equaling 2014, 341 sites, the composite rate of one-year mortality, or HFH, was lowest in patients prescribed triple therapy, 23%, compared with double, 25%, single, 36%, and no, 41%, therapy, P being less than 0.01 comparing across groups. Associations persisted after accounting for relevant clinical characteristics, 
with lower risk in patients prescribed triple therapy, adjusted hazard ratio or AHR 0.73, and double therapy, AHR 0.69, prior to M-tier, compared with no stroke single therapy. The authors conclude that under one-fifth of patients with LVEF less than 50% who underwent M-tier for FMR in this US nationwide registry were prescribed comprehensive GDMT, with substantial variation across sites. Compared with no stroke single therapy, triple and double therapy prior to M-tier were independently associated with reduced risk of mortality, or HFH, one year after intervention. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Stefan Windecker and colleagues from the University Hospital Bern in Switzerland. The authors conclude that GDMT remains underutilised and not well tolerated in HF patients with symptomatic FMR undergoing M-tier, which is of concern in view of the persistent high event rates in terms of both mortality and HFH after successful M-tier. The wide variation in prescription rates suggests that the gaps are multifactorial, requiring a variety of strategies to improve GDMT prescription, targeting patient, clinician and health system factors. Several aspects of the management of heart transplant, or HT, remain controversial. Given limited evidence and lack of consensus on donor acceptance for HT, selection practices vary widely across HT centres in the USA. Similar variation probably exists in a broader scale across countries and HD systems, but remains largely unexplored. In a clinical research article entitled Disparities in Donor Heart Acceptance Between the United States and Europe Clinical Implications Brian Wade and colleagues from the Stanford University School of Medicine in Palo Alto, California, USA characterized differences in heart donor populations and selection practices between the USA and Eurotransplant, a consortium of eight European countries, and their implications for system-wide outcomes. Characteristics of adult reported heart donors and their utilization, the percentage of reported donors accepted for HT, were compared between Eurotransplant, N equaling 8,714, and the USA, N equaling 60,882, from 2010 to 2020. Predictors of donor acceptance were identified using multivariable logistic regression. Additional analyses estimated the impact of achieving Eurotransplant level utilization in the USA among donors of matched quality, using probability of acceptance as a marker of quality. Eurotransplant reported that donors were older with more cardiovascular risk factors, but with higher utilization than in the USA, 70% versus 44%. Donor age, smoking history, and diabetes mellitus predicted non-acceptance in the USA and, by a lesser magnitude, in Eurotransplant. Donor obesity and hypertension predicted non-acceptance in the USA only. Achieving Eurotransplant level utilization among the top 30 to 50% of donors by quality would produce an additional 506 to 930 US HTs annually. 
Wader et al. conclude that Eurotransplant countries exhibit more liberal donor heart acceptance practices than the USA. Adopting similar acceptance practices could help alleviate the scarcity of donor hearts and reduce waiting list morbidity in the USA. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Mandeep Mehra and Jacinta Boulay from the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts, USA. The authors applaud investigations that highlight practice variations in HT which assuredly lead to incremental opportunities for organ recipients if such interpretation is carefully transitioned into greater overall benefit. They submit that the best way to cross the chasm is to meet somewhere in between, with lesser conservatism in the USA and greater attention to optimal and consistent outcomes elsewhere. This could be achieved by development of allocation systems that not only include recipient urgency, but also incorporate predicted post-transplantation outcomes. As the Greek philosopher Plutarch said, courage stands halfway between cowardice and rashness, one of which is lack, the other an excess of courage. Interventional studies in pulmonary arterial hypertension completed to date have been shown to be effective in symptomatic patients with significantly elevated mean pulmonary artery pressure, or MPAP, greater than or equal to 25 millimeters of mercury, and pulmonary vascular resistance, or PVR, greater than 3 wood units, or WU. However, in health, the MPAP does not exceed 20 millimeters of mercury, and PVR is 2WU at rest. The ESC stroke ERS guidelines have recently been updated to reflect this. In a clinical research article entitled Predictors of Outcomes in Mild Pulmonary Hypertension According to the 2022 ESC stroke ERS guidelines, the Evidence PAH UK study. Nina Carrier and colleagues from the Royal Free Hospital London NHS Foundation Trust in London, United Kingdom, point out that there are limited published data on the nature of these newly defined populations. MPAP 21 to 24 millimetres of mercury with PVR greater than 2 to less than or equal to 3 WU and the role of comorbidity in determining their natural history. With the change in guidelines, there is a need to understand this population and the impact of the ESC stroke ERS guidelines in greater detail. The authors undertook a retrospective nationwide evaluation of the role of pulmonary hemodynamics and comorbidity in predicting survival among patients referred to the UK pulmonary hypertension or PH centres between 2009 and 2017. In total, 2,929 patients were included in the study. Patients were stratified by MPAP, less than 21 millimetres of mercury, 21 to 24 millimetres of mercury, and greater than or equal to 25 millimetres of mercury, and PVR, less than or equal to 2 WU, greater than 2 to less than or equal to 3 WU, and greater than 3 WU, with 968, or 33%, in the MPAP less than 21 millimetres of mercury group, 689, or 23%, in the MPAP 21 to 24 millimetres of mercury group, and 1,272, or 43%, in 
in the MPAB greater than or equal to 25 millimeters of mercury group. Survival was negatively correlated with MPAP and PVR in the population. Survival in patients with mildly elevated MPAP, 21 to 24 millimeters of mercury, or PVR greater than 2 to less than or equal to 3 WU, was lower than among those with normal pressures, MPAP less than 21 millimeters of mercury, and normal PVR, PVR less than or equal to 2 WU, independent of comorbid lung and heart disease, HR 1.36, P equaling 0.0004 for MPAP, and HR 1.28, P equaling 0.0012 for PVR. Among patients with mildly elevated MPAP, a mildly elevated PVR remained an independent predictor of survival when adjusted for comorbid lung and heart disease. Patients with mildly abnormal hemodynamics were not more symptomatic than patients with normal hemodynamics. The authors conclude by indicating that their study supports the change in diagnostic category of the ESC-ERS guidelines in the PH population. The newly included patients have an increased mortality independent of significant lung or heart disease. Most patients in this category have underlying heart or lung disease rather than an isolated pulmonary vasculopathy. Mortality is higher if comorbidity is present. Rigorous phenotyping will be pivotal to determine which patients are at risk of progressive vasculopathic disease and in whom surveillance and recruitment to studies may be of benefit. This study provides an insight into the population defined by the new guidelines. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Nazareno Gallia, Alessandra Manes and Massimiliano Palazzini from the University of Bologna in Italy. The authors indicate that the limitations of this registry study are based on the time and delay of a patient's referral and on the patient's heterogeneity. In addition, the study is retrospective and missing data are unavoidable. Most patients referred to pH centres with an MPAP equaling 21 to 24 millimetres of mercury and PVR greater than 2 or less than or equal to 3 WU have comorbid lung and heart disease and may therefore represent group 2 or 3 patients rather than patients with a primary vasculopathy. The data of this study also suggests that patients with mildly abnormal vascular hemodynamics may not be identified by symptoms, but only by invasive hemodynamics, which then leads to an appropriate follow-up. The leading causes of death in connective tissue disease are pulmonary arterial hypertension and lung disease, which need to be identified and treated early. Developing novel therapies to battle the global public health burden of HF remains challenging. In a translational research article entitled 4-hydroxynonanol impairs miRNA maturation in heart failure via DISA post-translational modification. Julio César Bautista Sao Ferreira and colleagues from the University of Sao Paulo in Brazil investigated the underlying mechanisms and potential treatment for the deleterious effects of 4-hydroxynonanol or 4-HNE in HF. Biochemical, functional and histochemical measurements 
were applied to identify 4 H&E adducts in rat and human failing hearts. In vitro studies were performed to validate 4 H&E targets. 4 H&E, a reactive aldehyde byproduct of mitochondrial dysfunction in HF, covalently inhibits DICER and RNAs3 endonuclease, essential for microRNA or miRNA biogenesis, thus impairing miRNA processing. Mechanistically, 4-HNE binds to recumbent human DICER through an intermolecular interaction that disrupts both the activity and stability of DICER in a concentration and time-dependent manner. In this study, end-stage human failing hearts from three different HF etiologies displayed defective 4-HNE clearance, decreased DICER activity and impairment of miRNA biogenesis. In addition, in a preclinical model of HF boosting, 4-HNE clearance through pharmacological reactivation of mitochondrial aldehyde dehydrogenase 2, or ALDH2, a major enzyme responsible for 4-HNE removal using ALD1 or its improved orally bioavailable derivative AD9308, restored DICER activity. Of note, this response was accompanied by improved miRNA maturation and cardiac function stroke remodeling. The authors conclude that 4-HNE inhibition of DICER directly impairs miRNA biogenesis in HF. Decreasing cardiac 4-HNE levels through pharmacological ALDH2 activation is sufficient to re-establish DICER activity and miRNA biogenesis thereby representing a potential therapeutic target for patients with HF. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Jaus Schlauter from the UMCU in Utrecht, the Netherlands, and Tongji Shao from the Shanghai University in China. The authors highlight that the biological role of ALDH2 is diverse, having key enzymatic and non-enzymatic roles not only in HF, but also in the development of other different cardiovascular diseases. The diverse role of ALDH2, not restricted to its enzymatic activity only, need further exploration to see how this mitochondria-located protein can be part of future therapeutic interventions. In the current work, at least the enzymatic removal of the 4-HNE contributed to normalization of DICER function and the downstream activities of several miRNAs in the context of HF. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will be of interest to its listeners.